back to Mortuary Mayhem, a podcast by funeral service professionals for funeral service professionals, where any day above ground is a good one. Yeah, um, I'm Faith Haug. I'm the program director of the Mortuary Science Program at Arapahoe Community College in Littleton, Colorado, um, which is right outside of Denver. Um, I've been a licensed funeral director and embalmer for two decades, nearly. Um, this is the only real job I've ever had is funeral service. I started working in funeral service almost right out of school. Um, did a couple other things first, um, but but really quickly found myself in funeral service, and I've been here ever since. Um, and so now I'm I'm in charge of the program out here in Colorado. But um, I don't know. Do you want to introduce the topic? I don't. You you guys invited me. If you want to introduce it, I'll let you. Sure. Um, I mean, this was a hot topic. I know you talked uh, about, you know, LGBTQ and uh, that's something you're very passionate about. You kind of become the spokesperson. So if anybody, say that. <laughs> I'll say that, you know, but I think if anybody really doesn't know you, they should know you, um, that you've kind of become a very prominent name uh, on social media and you've been like a prominent name out there in the industry, especially, you know, uh, when it comes to the operations of a funeral home. And I know this is one of the areas that you're most passionate about, but you talked to the NFDA about, uh, about LGBTQ mm -hmm. involvement in the funeral home and integration and how to work with, yeah. you yeah. know? Yeah. So I gave a, what Dan's talking about is at the, the annual convention last year, God, where we were in Vegas. Um, you weren't there, were you? No, unfortunately I missed it. I could not, you know, it, it was in September and I couldn't go because it was, it corresponded with my first of my semester. I had duties. I'm sorry. Oh, well, we missed you. Um, but I, I presented there about, um, you know, just about how to work with families and that my particular presentation there was geared more towards the transgender community. Um, but we kind of broke off into more general kind of LGBTQ, you know, issues, so to speak as well. Um, you know, how to just, just how to work with, with that demographic, which, um, I'm part of, obviously I identify as queer and very open about that. Um, this is something that is important to me. It's part of my daily life. I tell this story, Every time I talk about this, so people probably already know this already, but it, when I moved to Denver, I married a man. Um, we had a daughter together and we we had our life. And right as COVID um, hit, my my then husband came out as, as a transgendered woman and began transition. And she now is, you know, in in several years into transition. And um, and so so that's that's my life. So I kind of went on that journey with her and experienced a lot of things through you know through her and and being on that with her we opened a queer owned and operated auto shop in denver in 2021 so we have a, a small business ourselves that is not unlike funeral service in that you are dealing with people that don't want to give you your money for something they're not happy about right i don't want to go write a check to the funeral home when my when my loved one's dead it's not a pleasant thing and i don't want to go give a couple hundred bucks or even more to an auto shop because my car broke down so very similar things, in fact, um, but we we employ mostly, you know, mostly queer people. Our, our customers are, I would say, probably more than half, you know, somewhere within the queer family. We do serve a lot of single straight women. We have a lot, believe it or not, a lot of, of you know, straight men as well who don't know as much about vehicles as they feel like they should, which is nuts but they they do they they feel that pressure that they should know these things and they don't and they don't want to go to a traditional shop because 
they're afraid they'll be made fun of or or whatever. And so, yeah, we, we've been been lucky to create this space for people, for really anybody that's uncomfortable in what what you would call a traditional, you know, auto shop and, and whatever that means, you know, to you, whatever image that conjures up. But, you know, specifically in the funeral home, um, you know, one of the one of the things that I hear a lot when I talk about this is, well, there's more there's more queer people now. All the, these students and these. Um, no, there's not. There's no more queer people than there ever were. We're just out now. That's the difference. And so, you know, um, you, you've probably worked with with people in the queer family in your time as a funeral director, whether it's a year or 30 years, and you may not have known it, but that doesn't mean that that you haven't. But, you know, that the the community does have have some special quirks, I guess you could say, and some things that we can be aware of as professionals that just make it a more inclusive environment for, you know, for everybody. And so my presentation really goes through a lot of a lot of that. Um, I, I start out by educating, you know, attendees on what pronouns are. I mean, we all took English to get into mortuary school, I think. I don't know. But it's one of those things we don't think much about. Well, and now it's kind of become very kind of a hot topic, you know, using pronouns, asking for pronouns. And um, it, it's it's something we've always, we've always used pronouns as part of our language. And so um, I will, you know, kind of let people know what 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 is they them what is what is she her what what are what are neo pronouns like why are are they important and so so we talk about that and kind of go through very 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 basic terminology like what what is a cis person what is a um queer person because there are some people that don't like that word that's that was a slur many years ago um, that the community has kind of reclaimed. I think it it works for me. I feel that that aligns with how I feel about myself, but but that may not be true for everyone. So um, just a lot of very, very basic, you know, knowledge about about what those things mean. And so I think that's helpful to a lot of people. I think that a lot of funeral directors, if this isn't something that they're intimately familiar with, you know, themselves or, you know, from, you know, maybe someone in their family, friends, it it's really overwhelming to them and they're so scared of doing something wrong. And so giving them those tools and kind of going through that with them is helpful, but also it's really helpful to, to understand that being queer isn't a personality, <laughs> I mean, it kind of is, right? I mean, we have a little community and we we have our own little little things, but really it's it's an individual's identity that means something specific to them. So what someone might use to describe themselves doesn't mean everyone that's like them uses those same terms. So so when we can understand that these terms are fluid, they are very individualized, then we can kind of maybe become less afraid of them because we know going into it, I shouldn't necessarily know. I shouldn't be able to look at a, Dan, I shouldn't be able to look at you and go, that's a straight man. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's not something you're you're public about one way or the other. But, but by learning the terms and learning that they're individual to everybody, what I can go is go, that's Dan. And whoever Dan is, if Dan wants me to know that, then then I'll know that about Dan. But but I don't need to try to identify Dan myself. 
you know. Isn't that one of the strangest things about us as a society? So we feel so compelled to know what you're doing in the bedroom for some reason, just to be able to have a conversation with you. It's 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 absolutely mind boggling. If I was on the telephone, I wouldn't necessarily know who I was talking to. I've yeah. known many a person to Mr. My Mother, as she's got a little bit of a deep voice on the sure. phone and 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 got a little, excuse me, you're talking to a lady. And they get all flustered because of their own silly assumption. It's it's ridiculous to me. You've never you can't say that, you know, I'm a baseball fan and every baseball fan likes the same team. No, right. you're not going to generalize it like sure. that. But for some reason, you've just never thought of it that way to put you it did. into the perspective of, um, oh, well, these people are experiencing this one thing here. Is there any way at all that I can make a connection so that I can understand what they're going through, even if it doesn't apply to me? Yeah. I'm white. I don't know what it's like to go through any hardship of having a darker colored skin, of being absolutely treated completely differently because of that, because I'm very Caucasian, but I can at least take the time to think to myself with news articles and research, be like, yes, they do definitely experience hate sure. that I do not experience. Yeah, and if someone it's comes visible. to you and tells you this is my experience, then then believe them. That's their experience. Absolutely. Why do we need so much proof for everything people know. say? It, it really what is. Are all these, what are all these cited sources necessary for? I don't understand. Why would I lie? And why does it matter if I did? Does it affect you in any way? It doesn't. But one thing that I do talk about in my in my when I do a formal presentation about pronouns and about those things is Dan and I, I I'm going to speak for Dan. Correct me if I'm wrong. We were taught in mortuary school. People are sir or ma'am. That's correct. You, yeah. you're Mrs. Jones, Mr. Smith. So it, it, our generation was still taught that that is a sign of respect to someone. And the only thing you have to base that on is, is how they look and how they present. So in my, in my presentation, I talk about the difference between sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender presentation, because they're three very different things. Um, so your sexual, you know, orientation is what you're attracted to in the bedroom, right? And that's, can be all kinds of things. That's a different show. Your gender identity is how you feel inside about your, you know, masculinity, femininity, you know, on, on some binary, on a spectrum, however you feel about that, that can be different today than it is tomorrow. It's a spectrum and that's how you feel inside. But your presentation is what you show to the world in the way you dress, maybe the way that you behave, the name you choose to be called, the pronouns you use. So, so your presentation is what you want people to know about you um, by looking at you really. And so we, you know, Dan and I, we were taught this and I, I would, would venture to guess that people even younger than us still are, especially in parts of the country, everybody, sir, ma'am, madam, miss. Um, my aunt still addresses letters to my nephews, master, which is what you used to call a, a, a underage man, right? You were master until you were 18, then you were mister. This is this is true. Um, so it's just been ingrained in us as professionals in a service industry to use those terms. And so we have to give ourselves, you know, if, if you're a person that wants to learn more about this and, and do this a, a better way, give yourself some permission to, to struggle with it because you were taught it a certain way, right? We were taught to use these things as, as a sign of respect. And also with, when it comes to they, them, that, that generally, and again, not for everybody, generally means that a person feels neither male, neither or female enough to use those pronouns. They feel some combination of, of the two or something else altogether. 
But the way we learn our language, it's okay to admit that that's hard for us to, to get used to because, you know, if I'm out and I see some, some sunglasses on the ground, I'm going to go, oh, somebody dropped their sunglasses. I'm going to say there because I don't know that person, right? That's a stranger. And so we, we put distance between ourselves and, and strangers by saying they or them. But when it's someone we know, that feels wrong. Like, like to say, you know, um, my friend Jess was here, they, but they're not a they, I know Jess. So I want, like, I'm, I'm, I feel like I want to use a more personal pronoun because the way that we use they, them, or the way we're taught to use it in the language is to identify something that's more uh, distance from us. So, so part of that is, is understanding how, how linguistics works and why we do those things and, and knowing that we're going to make mistakes. Um, and it's not about being perfect or being able to know all these things and do it right every time. It's about being aware that they exist and knowing that they're very important to people. And if we're given that information about someone, that, that we should take them at their word. If you say to me, I'm Jess, my pronouns are they, them, that's, that's it. I don't need to know why. I don't need to know what level of whatever you're feeling today. If that applies to you, I just, that that's the end of the, of the conversation. And, and all I really need to know is that that's how you prefer to be called. So that's what I'm going to call you. So that, that's kind of, you know, Absolutely. part one of my presentation is that. Um, part two, we go through some scenarios that can happen in the funeral home, specifically around things like death certificates, you know, family that doesn't agree on a person's presentation. And again, you know, without without going into the entire thing, one of the things as, as professionals that I want everybody to remember is we already deal with these things. They just look differently, right? We already deal with the fact, I don't want my sister's shitty husband to his, I don't want his name on this, you know? Okay, how do you deal with that? You know, how do you deal with a family that wants, half of them want to go to Catholic church, half of them don't. How do we deal? We we deal with families that disagree about something every day. This is just another thing, right? And there's something about this that that scares us so much as professionals, um, because I think deep down inside we know it's so integral to who a person is that we don't want to do it the wrong way. Um, but also we have to understand we already have the skills. We just have to apply them. In, in these scenarios. So we talk about a scenario where there is a person who who is transgendered. They've gone by, you know, their, their chosen name for years, but they've never legally changed anything. So we as professionals know that on the death certificate, it needs to match, you know, these other documents for these reasons. And so it's not, it, what I do in my presentation is try to give professionals language to use to do that. Um, and, and just to remember, we are still the professionals when it comes to, you know, to all things funeral and death care related. And so if you have a family that's that's saying, well, like, so so if my wife died, she she has not changed her, her name and she doesn't intend to for reasons that, you know, she knows will just make it easier in the long run not to do that. Um, but, you know, if she passes away, I'm going to put her legal name on there because that's what matches her life insurance that was what matches her you know all this other stuff so so being able to tell families 
um, you know, a death certificate is a legal document, and this is used for these reasons. And if a person has a different name with one of these entities than than appears on the death certificate, this can often cause a lot of a lot of issues for families that can delay benefits. It can delay property transfers, all kinds of things. And just have that conversation, letting them know we can we can do this if you can in your state, and it's different anywhere. But it but it could cause these issues for you. Or we do it this way, which may not be ideal, but nobody, you know, I mean, the death certificate isn't going to go in the newspaper. You know what I mean? So so it's giving them the tools to have those conversations is a lot of the presentation. And um, then we talk about a family that the mother wants to view their loved one um, who's transgendered, but they don't want to view them, you know, looking like a woman or whatever, you know, they, they may think. And how do you navigate that? Um, and we do this already, right? We have private viewings for, for family members, maybe that want to see somebody and the others don't, or maybe they want this and the others don't. And, and so it's, it's a lot of suggestions and a lot of language really on things, you know, that, that we can use in the funeral home to have these really difficult conversations with families that we already have in so many, so many different ways. We just don't realize that it's the same skill set. We just have to apply it now to, to different situations, um, and then I kind of, I, I also talk in that about disenfranchised grief, which is huge in the LGBTQ community. Um, I've seen it myself many times. I've seen people that have been in a relationship for 30, 40 years and we're at the funeral and, and their partner is sitting in the back. They're not sitting with the family and that breaks my heart. And we still see that. How do you, what do you do? How do you handle that? What are some things you can say? What are some things maybe you can do? Um, we also talk about the conflict that we see out in funeral homes in many ways between, you know, this is the next of kin, but this person's paying the bill, right? So how do we navigate that, right? Um, so again, it, it's the same things we we do every day, just applying them to, to different scenarios. But that, that disenfranchised grief in the LGBTQ community is huge. That's something that um, is really worth a deeper dive, you know, to, to read up upon if that interests you, because you'll hear things like, well, they weren't married. Okay. And, you know, or exactly. have you ever lost a friend? Have you ever <laughs> lost a child? Like, have you ever, have, lost have you ever been in a long-term relationship with somebody and never got married? I mean, if I didn't tell you I was married, how would you know if I was married or not? You know, I don't, there's a lot of people that never legally get married for one reason or another. And that's, I mean, same-sex marriage is is common now. It's that that should never even be a thing to to worry about in a lot of places. But um, regardless, it's also things like I use my mother-in-law as an example. I get emotional whenever I talk about this. I'm so sorry. But you know, if if we no went need into to the apologize, funeral, no need to apologize. <laughs> if if my wife died, if Cece died, and Paulette is my mother-in-law, who's a mother-in-law, what can I say? You know, I, I appreciate her and I love her, but you know, we, we don't see eye to eye on, on some things as, as is normal, but, um, and we went into the funeral home to make arrangements. She lost a son twice. She lost her child twice. She lost her son in 2020, right? And now she's losing that person again, just in a different form. Um, and I, I, I know for a fact, I very much doubt she's had any real 
therapy or working through that, you know, in any way, because she's not, she's, she's a, she's an old Irish Catholic lady. They just don't do that, you know? And so I have to also be sensitive as if I were the funeral director to understand that, you know, this, this parent that may be expressing anger or, or something in this arrangement, what it's like from her end too, and not just write her off as, oh, that mom's an asshole. She doesn't care about her child because she can't accept her child for who they are. It's not that simple with death, um, you know, and, and what you see in, in LGBTQ deaths is, is missed opportunities for reconciliation, right? So you've got maybe, maybe you have come out and your mom, your dad, your sister, whomever has, has erased you from their life um, for, for reasons and something happens to you and, and you're dead they never can change their mind and, and and repair that relationship. So it's a lost opportunity to repair a relationship. And people feel that and they feel regret and they feel guilt um, about that, that can come out in anger and a lot of other things at, you know, at um, in funeral homes or in funeral situations. So we have to have compassion, um, you know, for the families that, that seem to be anti-LGBTQ um, in some way too, because, of, of whatever, you know, is happening within them. It's another layer because there's no, there's no opportunity now to ever make it right between them and their child, them and their sister, them and their, their whomever. Um, and I've seen that many, many times. And so we talk about just about the disenfranchised grief, um, of parents, spouses, you know, my husband's gone. I will never see him again. I see his body in, in, in a different form walking around every day, you know, um, I have pictures that'll come up on Facebook memories. Um, but, but he never died. I never had a funeral. I don't have a keepsake of cremains around my neck. I had a husband one day and then I, I had a husband Friday and a wife Saturday and then, <laughs> you know, and, and that was it for me. Um, and, and so even myself years later, although I'm a hundred percent supportive, um, <laughs> you know, my, my daughter will not have a daddy daughter dance. She has a dad, but doesn't, you know? Um, so, so her life looks different than other kids. Um, and I have to think a lot and I think a lot about that. So, so there's grief that happens oftentimes in LGBTQ families, whether it's a transgender person, um, a person that's, you know, of some other gender, a person that's of some, some sexuality, maybe that their family doesn't understand there. There's a lot of grief in those relationships that already exists before the person actually physically dies. So, so we have to really understand kind of the, the complications that that specific, um, that specific, um, you know, scenarios can bring and, and be sensitive to those, but that, that's a good deep dive for somebody that's interested in psychology to really, really read up on, um, you know, and, and, and think about, and then we end the, that presentation with some stuff we can do in the funeral home to affirm people's gender and identity, right? So, so I, again, I use CC as an example and she's down with it. She's, she was at uh, the conference in Vegas and, you know, she's happy to, to be the, the example because she's just very open about where both of us are very open about our lives and how all of this unfolded for us. Um, and so, you know, if she passes away again, you know, her death certificate may say one thing and that's okay with me. That may not be okay with every family. And then, you know, we talk about how to handle that. Um, but her, you know, name on the door can say Cece. 
her folders, her this or that, can her obituary can say her her preferred name, her video tribute can say her preferred name. We can refer to her in the funeral home, not just in front of the family, but amongst each other that way too. So I'm not going to go in the back of my prep room and go, hey, how's who's that guy that thinks he's a woman? Like we, we don't talk that way. We talk about is miss is mrs haug ready or miss haug ready for you know her visitation or, or you know those things so speaking about the deceased person and with their preferred name and preferred pronouns amongst each other is important too it's not just a, an act for the family we we need to be be that way just among us maybe on our folders we have the name the preferred name maybe in our software system for legal purposes maybe we have to have a different name because it populates stuff we all know that but in notes somewhere so so the the admin answers the phone and you know they're looking up and something pops up you know preferred name is da 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 so then we're talking about that person you know to their family with with the preferred name um we want to be sure that we're we're just being modest in our prep rooms, right? We should be doing this anyway. We shouldn't have stark naked people laying around in the prep room anyway. Um, but we want to maybe be a little bit more um, diligent on, in some cases. So if a person is in transition, maybe they are uh, female to male and they have not had top surgery, meaning they haven't had their breasts removed. Maybe we cover those the whole time we're preparing that person. Maybe we... You know, obviously we cover genitals. I hope you do most, you know, all the time, unless you're actively treating that area. Um, but, but things like that, you know, um, we can, we do a little bit of education about what a binder is. What is a packer? So this is the first time NFDA ever heard about prosthetic penises. And, and I was happy to be the person to tell them. But those are things that if we're aware they exist and we get a bag from a family, we don't go, what's this? And make a big show of it. We know, we know what it is. You know what I mean? Um, and and being aware of those things is, is important. Um, because what we do in arrangements, we sit down and we ask the family about appearance, right? simple question is there anything else we can do to make your loved one look most like themselves if you have already established a relationship with that family that shows that you support affirm accept their loved one however they you know they were that family is going to be so much more comfortable to bring up those kinds of things you know um, how many times have you had an arrangement and then at the end they ask what they think is an embarrassing question or something silly because they've had to feel you out for the last two hours. Same thing. So now maybe they're going to be comfortable saying, well, you know, um, TJ did have a, a packer. Are you, can we bring that in? Of course, because you know what it is and you, those kind of things are a binder. Do you, do you know what a binder is? And, and even if you don't, if you've made them feel comfortable enough with you, they're going to be comfortable asking for what they need, right? So we do. We talk about those things in the presentation. We also talk about contouring, how we can masculine a lot, masculinize a face, how we can feminize a face with cosmetics. Amanda King um, and I are actually working on a, a actual presentation with examples using CC as our model on on how some of those techniques can work, um, and how to use tissue builder, right? So if CC lays down, she's got this giant Adam's apple right here because she's skinny, you know, so we can tissue builder, we just soften it, the jawline, you know, we can soften jawlines with with tissue builder, 
we can masculinize jawlines. You know, if we put more tissue builder here in the masseter area, we can masculinize, you know, a, a jawline. So talk about, you know, those things um, as well. So that's kind of the, the very basic overview of what that presentation includes. Um, and Dan, I, I, you're not on that committee. I'm going to be actually at our accreditation conference in Boston. I'm doing a panel about how to work with LGBTQ students um, specifically like in the classroom and kind of tailor this presentation more, you know, to, to a classroom basis, because um, that's something that a lot of educators are uncomfortable with. They don't know how to work with students that look differently than they've seen before, or that maybe, um, you know, when I was in mortuary school, I don't, I don't, I can't think of anybody that presented even non-binary, honestly. Um, and I'm not saying that they didn't, but what I'm saying is they're probably not out right? We've been here forever. We just haven't been out. But so, so even for the younger on the scale educators like Dan and myself, we're both very young people. Uh, <laughs> Dan's laughing. <laughs> we have some things to learn too, um, being educators and, and how to make all of our students comfortable and feel like they're they're seen and heard as as individuals and, and there's things we can can do in the classroom to make that happen too but um oh one more thing i talk about briefly in that in that um presentation is things a funeral home can do to set themselves apart as being friendly toward the community um first of all if you you know hire queer funeral directors right don't write somebody off as an employee because they maybe present a certain way or they prefer a different name or whatever it is, like don't don't write them off as an as an employer as a good funeral director because of their of their personal life, right? And we don't do that for a lot of reasons. This is just just another thing. Um participate in the community, right? So there's funeral homes that do pride events. There's funeral homes that do trainings. There's funeral homes that do um, community events where they will bring in like an estate lawyer and talk about how LGBTQ people can best protect their rights, their assets, what they want to happen after their death, you know, in, in different ways that may be different um, in, in certain states than others. So showing that we're just aware that there are different needs um, in different communities. And we do this already. We we have presentations about veteran stuff. We have presentations about maybe if we're in a community that has a large certain certain religion, you know, we might have things that we do with that group. Maybe we have, um, oh gosh, there, there are so many things that we already do it for is what I'm saying. It's just another thing. We just need to, to do those things. Um, if you have a training where your staff takes, you know, a, a presentation about how to work with the community, put it on your Facebook. Our, today, our staff had training on, on pronouns and whatever it is, you know, and just the same as you would if you had a training on, I don't know what, flag folding something, but it, it's, it's not something to be scared of. It's not something different. It's one, one more thing we can specialize in and educate ourselves about so that we can serve another type of community in the best way, like we already do our Catholic families, our Jewish families, maybe our Muslim families, our whatever it is, we're already doing it. Now we just need to apply it to another community. Absolutely. And there's, as you said, like when I went to mortuary school, the same thing is not that people were not LGBTQ, not that they were not queer. It's just 
definitely looking around my classroom today yeah. does not reflect visually um <laughs> and what they you know they're less private about you know their lives they're a bit more vocal about that which is awesome yeah. that's great that they are um now is there value because these people are looking for jobs they're out there they're you know visibly um going to a going to um provide the lgbtq someone that they can relate with now is there value just like a church would you know we have churches out there that are hanging the pride flag and saying this is a you know lgbt church this yeah, is yeah, something yeah. you have yeah. good you have good you know good judy garage where yeah, yeah. they have a demographic like hey this is a safe haven this is a place yeah. i can go and be with yeah. people like me is there value just like a funeral home might say hey look we speak spanish you know on their sign is there value to saying hey we're the we're the queer funeral home we're the funeral home that 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 you can go to and just like good judy garage has a demographic is there value to that i think there's value in it as long as it's not performative i think if you uh, you know if if at the bottom of your website maybe you say you know si habla espanol whatever it is maybe you're in a in a muslim community and you have on your website you have a, a relationship with you know the the temple or whatever it is near or whatever it is i don't think there's anything wrong with having the little there's a little safe space icon you can download from the internet it's just an image. That's that's all. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that I hear from funeral directors when I talk about this is, well, I just don't see what the big deal is. Exactly. You just admitted that you don't get it. And that's okay. It's okay not to understand. It is okay not to understand why it's a big deal. Um, but that doesn't mean it doesn't matter to some people. And so um, it, it can be as simple as, you know, just a little safe space dealio on your website at the bottom where you put your other stuff right if you've got a veteran thing you've got whatever it's just it's another emblem you can put to indicate that join the lgbtq chamber of commerce you know we already wear so many pins and buttons and lapels on our suits yeah very simple little flag to put on there when you meet with your family just so they know just so no. they know. Do you have to drape your funeral home in a rainbow flag? No. Do you have to fly one outside of your funeral home? No. Can you? Sure. If you have a pride week or something in your town? Sure. Do you have to make a show of it? Absolutely not. But there are ways that you can quietly indicate that you are an ally, just like you do for all the other groups you serve. Um, you know, the, the other thing... <laughs> that I hear all the time is, I don't know why these people think they need to be treated special. I, I treat all my families the same. You probably think you do. You probably think you do. And so we, again, we have to ask queer people, we got to learn this too. We can't just come at everybody that says something that rubs us the wrong way. We have to have compassion and try to, to understand their ignorance a little bit too, right? Because a lot of times it's not malicious. When somebody says to me, well, I treat all my families the same. They're not saying there's nothing special about queer people. What they're saying is I I really try already to, to treat people right. That's what they're saying. And we have to hear that and understand that. And, and what I say in my presentations about that is that's an awesome thing to think. And I, and I believe, I truly believe that, that you think that you do treat all your families the same way. And you probably do by that definition. However, you really don't because no two families are the same. I treat my, my Jewish families different. You know, um, I, I was in, I was in, uh, when I was in mortuary school, I lived in Jewish funeral home. 
And I did things differently there because that is their tradition and, and, and their needs. If I were a man, even if I'm not Jewish and I did a Jewish gravesite, I would wear the yarmulke. That's, re- that's the respectful thing to do. So you're already treating that family different because of who they are. Catholic families, you know what I do? This deal. I do the, you know, I do all the things. I do the bow. I do all the stuff. I'm not Catholic, but I do it when I serve those families at their church. That's what's respectful to do. Um, you know, so, so we already, if I, if I'm doing a Muslim service, you know what I do? Don't, I don't go inside. They don't want me in there. And I know that. So, so that's the, that's the whole thing. You know, what, what they're saying is that they feel like they already do go out of their way to make sure everybody's served the best way. And I believe that they mean that, but what they're not realizing is you already do treat every family differently because every family is different. And this is just another, another community that has, has different needs. Treating people in each family uniquely is what makes you treating them the same as everyone else. Taking the time to, Mm -hmm. I know all of your religious preferences and I know your family preferences. I know that as the funeral director, I need to dress professionally and look professionally and respect Mm -hmm. everything else about your family. That means very easily I can also respect your pronouns and your preferences in that direction as well. It's just one extra question. One extra question. One extra question. And we already do this. If I'm sitting down, like I don't serve Hmong families very often. I think I have a handful of times. There's a funeral home. One of the locations of the the big funeral home I worked at here serves a lot of of those families because of the part of town they're in. The directors that office out of there are very well versed in it. I'm not. I was at another location. If I had to go cover, I just didn't know, you know, and I was terrified. So I remember how that felt for me. Like, my gosh, am I going to going to offend these people? Am I going to do something terrible? Am I going to this or that? So I understand that fear of funeral directors when they're serving some, uh, a family that they're not accustomed to that, that community. Um, but what I've found is most families, if you just take the time, pull aside the, you know, the next of kin, the sister, the sister's always a good one. I feel like sisters are always good ones, you know, and say, you know, I'm, I'm not as familiar with this community as as I wish I were. Are, is there anything I can I can do that will you know help make this a better experience for your family? Da, 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 da. And we already do that. We should be already doing that. Do that. You've got a maybe you have a transgender decedent. Maybe you and you've never had one before. You've never. This is the first time, or it's so infrequent that it's been a while, and somebody else served that family. Say to that family. Um, I, I just don't don't know enough about about this community as as I wish I did. What are, what can I do to make this um, a, a better experience for your family? I'm 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 happy to you know to accommodate anything you can think of that'll make this feel better and more authentic to your person. Um, and just expressing that you may not know the questions to ask, you may not know the things, but your job is to serve the family in the best way, and. They will appreciate that and they will tell you some things. I served Native American families in Albuquerque. Do you think this girl from Chicago ever did that before? <laughs> Never. And now I'm meeting diff- people from different tribes. And I would say that I, I would say, I don't know enough about, you know, your your tribe or your belief system um, as I wish I did. What what are some things I can do to make this these services, um, you know, reflect whomever it was in the best way? And they would always, they, it's, it's just, they just want to know that you care about serving them. They don't, and if you don't know, be honest about it and, and just have that willingness to learn and listen and, and say things. And 
And they may say things that are are something you never thought of. And it may not even have anything to do with that. It may be as simple as, um, well, they really liked Wizard of Oz. So can we bring the little dog that we, you know, can, can we bring our dog? It can be that, sure. But once you've made it clear to them that, that you're open and you're willing and you want to serve them in the best way, then they will, will give you the opportunity to do that a lot easier than if you never ask. I think often, especially as grown adults, we're afraid to be bad at something. Yeah. Like it will reflect poorly on us. You have to be bad at something before you can be good at it. You have to be open and honest about the fact that you're not used to these things, but you would love to be educated. You would love to have more experience about it. Please let me know anything that I can do because I would love to. Even if it's research, even if you want to give me terms that I have to look up, yeah. I will. Yeah, absolutely. And no two, no two families are the same. No two Catholic families are the same. Somebody may be obsessed with Our Lady Guadalupe. The other family may never want to see that picture in their life. I mean, so we already, the, the whole point, guys, that I just keep saying over and over, we already do this stuff. We just need to do it in this space now. That's all. Or even finding a way, like I, like going, same thing. It's like I've had atheists next to a Pentecostal in the, <laughs> you know, opposite parlors. And it's like, you got the, you got a massive Bible flower arrangement. And you got the people who are like, what the hell's going on next door? But the, you know, same thing is I like that, like you were saying earlier, is getting that information as to that. But the legal, that's the one big thing we always come back to is your what's your legal name versus what name yeah. do you want in that bitch? What name do you want on the prayer mm -hmm. cards? And I'll tell you, you know, brief thing is like I've met with families where they were, you know, sudden accident. I didn't see the decedent yet. I'm being with the family. They're very insistent. This is the name, but there was nothing indicating otherwise that the name could any be anything but what yeah. they gave me, right? I'm looking at the news article for the car crash. I'm looking yeah. at a guy and I'm looking at a girl. I'm looking at, yeah. you know, a, a couple, right? In the yes. in the image, right? Yeah. And they both died. And guess what? It's a medical examiner case now. Mm -hmm. So so now I go up there to retrieve them from the medical examiner's office. All of the information provided by the family identifies names that were not their legal names and nobody indicates this and i get up there and i'm like i'm looking for this person and what does the medical examiner do they ask lots of questions they don't release bodies unless you have the right answers yeah yeah so i have to have the right gender i have to have the right names i have to have everything well i have the social security number but i don't have the right name and yeah. i don't have the right uh gender and the medical examiner had a nice chuckle over it because they knew where this was going and we did get to the end and we did get the body released. But I, I went up there and I said, okay, I'm looking for, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so. Yeah. And they were looking going, that's not the name. Like we have this, but you're wrong in the name. You need to get us the name. And I'm making phone calls. I'm like, what do you, they didn't tell me why. And that would have been something key if they had just told me why, yeah. but they didn't tell me why. They're like, you don't have the right name. And I'm like, what? And they're like, and I'm like, what else is wrong? They're like, the gender's wrong. And I'm like, well, no, I'm looking. Look, I have a picture of the, I pulled up the obituary. I pulled up the photo on my phone and I said, this is who I'm looking for. Is this who you have in your custody? And they said, yes. I said, okay. And I figured it out really quick. I figured out what was going on. It was no question yeah. there. But I said, this is who you have. I'm still looking for the right person, right? They're like, yes. They're like, but you have the wrong gender. You need to get the right name. I went, bingo. So I made a couple of phone calls. The family was not willing to give the name. I explained what was going on. I said, look, this is what I need. But from all photo evidence, we had a young couple sure. that were yeah. that didn't look yeah. otherwise. Yeah. And um yeah. in the bedroom, they both had 
the same anatomy, yeah. uh-huh. but but otherwise, yeah. Uh, yeah. Different. So it, it does yeah. make that challenge. But I wish I it wish does. that family had provided that information. It would have made my life a little easier. I know, that's, but I didn't know to ask the right questions. I didn't know to ask those questions. Well, initially. and honestly, well, you need I, a little you, faith training. You need yeah. to go to one of faith's training classes so that you can yeah. learn how to and, word your questions. And there's what you know. It's as simple as on our first call sheets, right? What's the name of the deceased? Do they have a preferred name? Faith is my middle name. If you call me by my first name, we're not speaking anymore. But guess what? I've never legally changed it. So it'll go on my desk. And then that's fine. Because to me, I'm too lazy to deal with changing my name. So I know I'm going to have, if I'm at the doctor's office and they call, I don't like lose my shit. But, you know, but, but just giving the opportunity for them to tell you those things is key. So maybe if, you know, if, if when we're talking about death certificates, you know, we say this is a legal document about, you know, all that, whatever we say, but did they have a preferred name that you'd be more comfortable with me referring to them by just that, you know, cause that that's not even a, a, an LGBTQ thing. Exactly. I was you know? just going to say, I have many cis female friends who just wanted a different name. They yeah. grew up, they didn't like their name. They don't want it anymore. I know my friend Alex would absolutely be torn apart if somebody called her by her given birth yeah. name because she hates it she doesn't yeah. want to think about anybody ever calling her that she said her name is alex it's very easy to just call her alex yeah She's just changed her name that's all that's happened very easy to go what was your name at birth and what is your preferred name what was your pronouns yeah. at birth and what are your preferred pronouns now i sure. only need these things for legal documentation and saying things like i promise i will never out your birth name i know that that's important i know that in this community is important for people to not necessarily know the name that you have put to rest and you want your preferred name let people know hey i am not going to tell other people their name when they when i answer the phone i am not going to give people their original i'm going to give their preferred name i only need these things for documents and the people that will see the documents won't see your loved one and do not know who they are so do not ever worry about that kind of thing just little little tidbits of words to help you feel just that much more comfortable with somebody sure and it's different state to state there are some states that have non-binary as a as a you know option on a death certificate but just because someone's not male or female doesn't make them non-binary either so but it's a start some death certificates allow a preferred name on it. Some don't. So it's gonna it's gonna depend. I don't have all fifty states memorized. Things change all the time. That's my tip to funeral directors: call vital records, get the information from the source on what you can and cannot do on your death certificate, so that you know. Make a little info sheet, laminate it, put it in your arrangement room like you do with other things, and you have it there to refer to. I did that with the who has the right of disposition for cremation. You know, because we'd have to talk about that all the time. Here's what our state allows and doesn't allow on a death certificate if it comes up you have it um but get get the information from the source don't go just on the internet and on embalmers who care or some shit and ask what the truth is like go to the actual source um so you know what you're talking about but but you know it's it's just those very simple things um that you know that we can do that we really i mean it applies to so many more situations we just don't think about it like i i I mean, my dad, I don't think people ever knew his real name till he died. And it was in his obituary as we put it in there. But I don't he went by Butch his whole life. I mean, people literally at his funeral were like, oh, I didn't know his name was Dwight. He didn't care, you know, but uh, we put it there. So if anybody's ever looking it up, they could find it by his first name. But it was like, you know, so 
it's very, very common in, in a lot of families to have someone that doesn't go by their legal name for, for whatever reason. So just asking. And that gives them the opportunity to share with you. So, you know, just give them those opportunities to to share those things and and maybe they will and maybe they will wait a while and then halfway through they'll say, you know, da da da, da. they'll feel comfortable with you, whatever it is. And, and that's our job is to make people feel like they should be comfortable with us. It shouldn't be an act. They should be. But um, because we care about them, we, we should honestly care. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, these aren't difficult things. These aren't complicated, time consuming things. These are just basic things that we can do to better serve, you know, families that that may need may need different things than other families. We're already like an intimidating profession, especially yeah. for people who don't know anything about us. We wear suits all day. We look very fanciful and like somebody that might not necessarily be warm to approach. Mm -hmm. But just like we were talking about earlier, most funeral directors I know have tattoos and they go yeah. out to their own bars and they've got their own friends. And we all look very different in our own off time than we do on time. We're all people, too. And we would love to be able to bond with you in that way that you don't feel scared to talk to us we would never want someone to be feel afraid to speak to me especially about something so painful and sensitive as the loss of a loved one well sure and that's where that education is important too you know talk having those seminars where you know where families that you know that are part of that community can come and get information on what is currently you know the the state in in the case in whatever state you live in about those things you know is it for some families, it's it's not worth going through the whole name change, and that's fine. And then, you know, they need to understand that the time of death, that, that, that'll have to be on some documents, you know. And for others, it's worth it, but they don't know that they can even do that. So it's, you know, that's where it's just another community education piece that, that we can offer. We can have a just a resource sheet on our website. You know, we can have some LGBTQ grief support groups. We can have, you know, maybe we, we have a you know, um, a lawyer or somebody that we know well that's part of that community that we can have as a resource for people that might need that. Um, we can have lunch and learns or whatever you want to call them where we talk about, you know, how prearranging can be a great idea for people maybe that are estranged from their blood family, right? Um, because that, that's still a thing, you know, we want to make sure we have our paperwork correct in the event that something does happen to us. So the, the people that we want to make decisions for us are the ones that actually get to. So, you know, just, just things that we already do that we can do in another way. Do any states provide any protection for what people want? Like, like, for example, if I had a family came in and they said, I want cremation, I want burial. My family does not agree with me at all. Um, here, I can't do that. The, the next I can can change anything. Right. And I know a lot yeah. of states can do that. But I've always been the one to take like here, I'm going to give them the satisfaction or the peace of mind rather to take a Sharpie. I read across the top of my worksheet that says under no circumstance is this person allowed to be cremated, buried, right. whatever the case may be. And then I say, okay, I'll sign you sign. Now I'm going to be long gone from the funeral home by the time this person dies. I have no say, but at least it's on Sharpie long after I go, uh, then somebody that picks up that folder is going to say they may, the family can still change it legally, but that person sure. can look and say, Hey, yeah. your family member was pretty insistent on this to the point that they put it in Sharpie on their pre-need. Is there any way on a pre-need that there could be protection? In some said, states, yeah. In some States you can sign your own cremation authorization. It's a first person authorization. That was common here. When I, when I was um, directing in Denver, we would have a pre-need that the person died and in their file would be a would be a self-signed cremation authorization. 
Is there any protection for that with yep. uh, people that want their want to make sure their pronouns are used or their preferred name is used? I don't think any- there's really a legal protection for that that I know of. Um, I think that your best bet, if it is something that 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 is extremely meaningful to you, and again, each person's different. Like CC, it's she wants to be called, you know, her preferred name and pronouns in daily life. Does she want to deal with the changing her name? No, because it's too much of a pain in the ass, and she doesn't like pain in the asses and that's all it is there's no deeper reason she just doesn't want to deal with it and 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 then yet because then if you've ever had to change your name you know what a hassle it is all your driver's license your registration it's just not worth it to her she would rather just you know somebody will say the wrong name once in a while and that's it and she won't get mad about it and that's her choice but for people that it is very very important to that's when it really kind of becomes their responsibility for you know for themselves to protect themselves by legally changing their name and changing all of their, you know, documentation around their name. So, so no, I, I don't, I don't believe that there's really a way, you know, as far as a funeral home goes that we can force, force it legally. Right. Um, but you know, if it's, if it's that important to someone, you know, do going through all the legal things to change the name and, and change the, your gender, if you can, in your state is the way to go. And that's why I say those, you know, educating people on what that process is in your state, you know, it's different everywhere. You know, in some states you just go and fill out a paper and pay the money in other states, it's a whole thing. So, you know, that, but again, you know, having those resources and giving that education. And if you're, you're not familiar with that on the pre-need side and are doing pre-need, you probably ought to become familiar with those things because that's a, a very, I hate to say it like this, but I don't know another way. I know these are industry people listening, but that's truly an un, untapped market, the LGBTQ you know, um, demographic for pre-need. And it's very beneficial to them, truly. Um, and so we, we need to be knowledgeable about those things, but I mean, yeah, I don't think there's like a way you can do it like you can do a first person auth on a cremation authorization or anything like that. But there'd definitely be value maybe in a pre-need. If you definitely want to make sure things are done your way, there's always that value oh, in the pre-need yeah. to say, this is how I want it. This is my wishes. Yeah. I mean, I know my, you know, and I obviously I don't fit this demographic, but, you know, I do have insistent things. I am a funeral director. I am an embalmer. And I yeah. see every day. I'm like, I want this. Your guys are going to do it my way. So I don't have a pre-funded, but I do have a folder. It's in my house. It's in my safe. Everybody knows it's there. Uh, they don't want to know about it, but it's there. And I literally have everything. I got the music on a CD ready to go because I'm like, this is what you're going to do for me. So um, where are you going to play that CD, pal? A CD. A CD. They don't even sell. I went to Best Buy the other day. I went to Best Buy the other day to buy something and they're laughing. They're like, oh no, we don't sell that anymore. I'm like, what do you mean you don't sell that anymore? Oh, Not CD gosh, or something, or something, or something I else. I asked my my nephew or my niece graduated. No, it was my nephew graduated from preschool. And I said, send me a copy of the tape. They're like, what? Like, send me a copy of the tape. What do you, what? <laughs> like, text you the video? <laughs> like, yeah, that works. <laughs> Yeah, that's the problem is you yeah, can't even, now, now you have things, you can't even replace it because they don't even sell. Best Buy just is going to stop selling DVD players right now. If they say, oh yeah, whatever's on the shelf is gone and whatever right. DVDs we have, they're done. I'm like, seriously? Wow. Hold on. Yeah. Dan's going to have to have an Xbox in his funeral home so he can play his music for his funeral. Oh my gosh. But, you know, having your wishes recorded, even if it's not in a pre-funded way is meaningful. It's not legal, but it's better than nothing. But, you know, um, I do think that there's definitely a population of LGBTQ, you know, 
couples that are are nearing the age when pre-funding and pre-need does become more, you know, maybe important for them um, than than it is for younger people. And those are are the families that need that information. And and we should be, if we're doing pre-need, you know, in our funeral home, that that's definitely a a demographic that's often overlooked. Um, you know, if you have a an LGBTQ center in your town, offer to do a class on it, and you'll be surprised how many couples that are retirement age will show up because they know these things are going to affect them, but they've never had anybody offer to talk about it with them. They always have been afraid of it. I've heard that from, from, so at the shop, it's amazing how many, because people at the shop know me and they know what my other life is, which is this. And we'll talk if I'm over there. And, and, you know, there are, are many, many couples that are retirement age that come to the shop and we have the, they ask me questions because starting to be on their mind now and they go, you know, we know we're different than a lot of other people. And maybe there's some things we need to think about because we've had experiences in other places that weren't great because of who we are. And now, you know, we're, we're approaching that age where we could die at any time and nobody would be surprised. This is how one person said it. So maybe we do. So, so again, you know, it's, it's community education is a major part of it. And even just setting yourself apart as a funeral home that even if you don't have all the answers that you're willing to work through, you know, those individual scenarios and individual situations with those families is important. Yeah. I mean, we would, I, I would hope that everyone's families are farming and accepting and all of that, but we know that's not the reality. Yeah. So this would at least be a way to get your voice across to say, look, I know my family doesn't want to talk about this, but I put it on paper, and then when the time comes, my family doesn't have to worry about what I wanted because I already wrote it out for them. Yeah, and they don't—they can just say, "Oh, that's what—that's what he or she wants. They want," uh, and they um, then it's on paper, and they can just say, "Do what do what that says." Yeah, sir. We've gone very long. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then silence. Oh. <laughs> No, I mean, I think this is a great topic. I think this is just something that, you know, just, just to have everybody out there. I mean, and obviously, I mean, I know here on Cape Cod, we have P-Town, which is, that is the that is the community. Yeah. And I mean, if a funeral home is down there, there's no question because uh, you're not going to have somebody that doesn't fit that demographic. I mean, maybe you will, but, you mm -hmm. know, that, that demographic is well served. And I think every area really has an area. Every I know area my, does. you know, my, my aunt, um, you know, within the condo complex, half that condo complex is for the elderly that's retired. The other half is actually LGBT. And it's it's not intentional. It was never intended that way. It was just one people moved in and another said, hey, I'm friends. And they just all of a sudden, yeah. one by one, they populated half of an entire condo space, which is like retirement. It was retire, uh, housing for a military base. So it's yeah. actually fairly large. And they took it over. So they have a community. So yeah. even to, you know, get yeah. in there and provide that would be you know, yeah, but it, when you're outside that, it's hard. <laughs> when you're outside that, it's hard, but it's it's not as hard as you might think it is. Um, and that's why, I, you know, I again, we can't profile people, of course, or this or that. You know, we don't want to say, go looking for a queer funeral director, because just because somebody's queer, let me tell you, doesn't mean they want to be the, the uh, spokesperson for your funeral home or for that either. You will find some queer people are very... I would say almost offended that you even asked. It's I've met very, I, even myself uh, in my my queer journey here, even just um, meeting other people that fit into my spectrum. I 
you'd be amazed how unique everyone's experience is where I am very I'm gay and I love everything about being gay and other people are like please pipe down you're right and that's okay it's okay so don't you know I wouldn't say go go looking for a, a queer funeral director with the intent to you know be performative and make them do these things to get into this community that's not the right way to do it that's not the right way to do it but if you do have someone on your staff, you know, that already has connections in that community for whatever reasons, maybe because of who they are, because of somebody they know, whatever it is, and, and they're willing to kind of to kind of make that connection, you know, for the funeral home, that's a, a powerful thing um, to do. But you don't have to be. That's one thing about the LGBTQ community that people, it's like they're so afraid of it because they think that it's not going to respond to anybody that's not that's not queer. And there are some of those people, but they're usually very young. <laughs> and, and once they get some more life experience, they'll figure out that the best way to advance the um the so the the acceptance of of queer people is just to be a normal person, right? And and we're just regular old people. Like we we do get some some a criticism at the shop for not being out and doing all these wild things. And it's like, that's not who we are though. We go to bed at eight o'clock. Good Judy Garage isn't going to be at the club dancing with the drag queens at 3 a.m. Not because we're bad queers, because we're old. Yes, because I am not, a homebody and I'm not here for you the know, party anymore. So again, remembering being being gay or being in the community isn't a personality trait. There are people that they just are, we're all just normal people, but but there are definitely people that are more, um, interested in, you know, community events and community things and others. And it's totally okay not to be. And it's totally okay if you have someone on your staff that's very passionate about that. Maybe they have a, maybe one of their children is part of the community. Maybe one of their sisters, brothers, whatever it is, that's not, not themselves. You know, maybe they themselves aren't. Um, but that doesn't mean they can't be a good connection or, or a good, you know, person out in the community to advance those, you know, that, that, um, those things for your funeral home. So, um, you know, the, there's definitely ways to get involved with those communities without having to be part of the community yourself. Um, and and they will, in my experience, you know, be happy and 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 grateful for the information that somebody's looking out for, you know, for their needs, whether or not you are a queer person yourself or not. There's, you know, there's a lot of businesses that are very, very openly serve the queer population and the ownership isn't, they're not queer people that, and that's okay. Like it's being an ally is just as important. So, yeah. I mean, for, I mean, there's obviously been in the past, unfortunate lawsuits that went to the Supreme court regarding transition within the funeral home employees and all of that. And that's, you know, do you have any advice for, you know, or anything you want to talk about on that as well, but you know, do you have any advice for funeral home owners or especially for those that are trying to transition while working at a funeral home. I mean, one of the most conservative professions out there that unfortunately doesn't like change, no pun intended. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't that, it'd be something else (laughs) in a lot of places. So again, this is one more thing that we have to have to learn to deal with in business and in in funeral homes are not unlike other businesses. We are, but we aren't. We're still businesses owned mostly by small business owners that are is a service business. Um, and so, you know, there are absolutely traditional funeral homes that have long-standing ties to specific religions or churches, and that especially in different parts of the country, that's absolutely real. Not every funeral home is a good match for every employee, right? 
but that also doesn't mean you can always move or relocate to where it might be a better better place for you either. Um, this is unpopular with with some of you know some queer folks, and and I'm going to say it, but you have to decide at some point within yourself how much you're willing to take on to to live you know in a way that is authentic to you. And should everybody be accepting and open and should you be able to express yourself in any way you want in theory, right? But again, like I was saying at the beginning, I there are funeral homes that doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter how well known I am, how skilled I am. They are, they're not going to hire me because I have tattoos. That is their right as a small business to, to choose who works for them. And, and, you know, that that's just not a, a good fit for me. But if I'm offered a job in a funeral home like that, it's my choice then whether I'm going to adhere to what they require. So it's, it's both ways, right? Um, I don't know that anybody has in their employee handbook, employees cannot transition, da, 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 da. I don't know that anybody has that in their handbook yet. Um, but again, you know, dress code things, maybe I don't, I don't know. And those are things that I don't think we figured out yet in funeral service. You know, that one case went through, that was a nightmare. Um, and that's really the only one I know of that went that far about an employee within a funeral home. Um, and so I don't think that there's an answer for it because I don't think we've, we've figured it out yet. I think it's an individual basis. You know, if I, if I'm an employee of a traditional conservative funeral home and I have an em employee that is transitioning genders my advice to the employer is they are do they do a good job are they a good embalmer are they a good funeral director are they good funeral arrangements do do they connect well with families is my only problem with them who they are in their personal life because that's silly right look at the performance of the job that's what matters essentially um, and that can be hard for people to do you know, and if I'm if I'm a person that that is, you know, in transition or, you know, some some other thing that I'm worried about, you know, how I'm treated in a funeral home. At some point, you have to understand that you can't change everybody. You can give them the opportunity to accept you. You can give them the opportunity to learn and 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 these things. But if they don't want to, they don't want to. And it's OK to move on. Don't stay in a situation that's toxic and terrible for you because you think you've got to prove something or or change the world or something like that. You're it, there comes a point where you're only causing more harm to yourself, and it may be time to move on. And again, that's why I say we have to accept personal responsibility and accountability in ourselves uh, into what circumstances we're comfortable with, what circumstances are maybe worth it for other reasons. This funeral home pays me really, really well. I really need this money for a year. It's not ideal. It's not this or that. So I'm going to tolerate some stuff that I wish I didn't have to talk. I've done that. I've done that. I worked at a really, you know, traditional funeral home here and I had to wear pantyhose. And that sounds really, really, that sounds really petty, but let me tell you, it's not. You know, and I it's hate not, it. Girl. Every time I had to wear no, them, I was like, no God damn it, I don't know why I work at this. You know, but I'm like, well, the benefits are good. The schedule's good. I can put on the pantyhose and just mumble about it, you know, and that's a petty thing. But but really, um, my, my advice is that you have to make it make an understanding within yourself what you're willing and not willing to put up with, so to speak, at work in a million other ways. So. I, I don't know. I, it's not as simple as tell them to treat you better because that 
they may not, I worked in a funeral home that I have naturally curly hair. I worked in a funeral home. You could not wear your hair natural. You had to either straighten it or have it in a bun. So there's all kinds of things, you know? Um, but no, I don't think we've figured out exactly what we're doing in funeral service when people are mid-transition yet. It's it's going to be each individual employer is going to do and feel how they feel. Um, and it's no different than having employees that you think your families might not be comfortable for other reasons, how there's still funeral homes out there that don't like women to arrange. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just one more thing. No, no, that's a non-answer, but it's best I got right now. No, I think it's a good answer. And I mean, and there's, I think it, as you said, it might depend on the firm too. I mean, we have some massive firms out there that theoretically someone may be able to get to a certain point, say, okay, this is my, like every, every teenager, you have your awkward stage, right? So I think, you know, yeah. it's all of a sudden it's like, all right, here's my awkward stage. I'm going to work in the basement for a few months or for a year, <laughs> and then I can come back yeah. upstairs. And then you have, I think a lot of the small ones, especially around here, I know we have a lot of small firms where that may not be the option because you are the director, you are the, you know, it's, it's you and somebody else and hiding may not, you know, for a month or two may yeah. not be uh, it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's you know you you know your your families in your demographic. There are many funeral homes here where I would be very comfortable saying that most families wouldn't care. They care that the person does a good job. They care that they're compassionate and kind and you know professional. And they don't care if maybe they are uh, some some person that looks male that has long hair or has you know some person looks female that dresses masculine. I I would say that that in my experience most people care more about how good you are at the job you're doing after at the end of the day. However, I am not ignorant to think that there aren't funeral homes that serve a very particular type of family or a very specific, you know, religion that is just not there. And, and that, and that's, that's valid too, I think, you know, on the, it just is. And that's what, what queer people don't like to hear, but you know, it's like me, I can't, I'm not going to go make arrangements with a Muslim family. I'm I'm just not. And I'm not going to be offended by that because I'm not going to change 5,000 years of their religion. Um, I'm just going to go, oh, one less family. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's all you have to do at some point. And if, it, and, and if you can't do that within yourself and if it hurts your heart so, so much in those situations, maybe a different funeral home is a better fit. And, and that's it. And that's the end of the story. Yeah. You know? But I mean, a funeral home can serve more than one demographic. I mean, I worked for a place that was the owners were Protestant. I'm Catholic. We served a Protestant Catholic demographic, pretty straightforward. But then we had the reformed Jewish population. Now, yeah. if you were Orthodox Jew, you didn't come to us. You went to a Jewish funeral home. Mm -hmm. We did have the reformed Jewish population. Yeah. And that was awesome. And I did. I, you know, my, when unfortunately my bald spot, I did have to like, you know, tape down the yarmulke because it would blow away in the wind, but there was nothing <laughs> to hold it there. No bobby pins allowed, but fortunately, put I, it on a headband. <laughs> fortunately, I, la I lacked the follicles. I'm, I'm follically, <laughs> I think, what was the term my brother used? Follically follically challenge. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it, you know, but it worked. I mean, and that's the thing too, is a funeral home could have more than one demographic. If you're, totally. I mean, if you're a, you know, you know I'm a, for those that can't see me, you know, I mean, I'm a cis straight white male. I mean, I don't check any box on any of this, but for that, I could meet with your family that, um, you know, that is straight laced, wants nothing. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, look, I got faith and I got Jess. Yeah. That's now got this great population because yeah. you're part of that community. You're bringing that population and they know you, uh, yeah. from the local, you know, um, groups that you're part of. And all yeah. of a sudden you bring this in, Hey, I'm not going to meet with them because you're better at that. Not me, you know, but you, you, you know, you have a bond. So that's great. So, yeah. 
Yeah, but you know, I mean, it is sure there, but you know, there's funeral homes where there are certain funeral directors that just do better with different, you know, there's a, a Greek population here and you know, they, there's certain funeral directors that that's kind of who they meet with. And that happens in funeral homes. That's normal in funeral service. I wish I could sit here and say, everybody can meet with everybody the best way and they can da 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 da, da for all individuals. And, and if, and it's okay to have, to kind of have a specialty, right? We can't, we can't pretend that doesn't oh, yeah, exist. Absolutely. Some funeral directors direct, some involved. Yeah. Some people know more about Christianity. It depends yeah. on where you're from. I mean, and that's a good thing. If we weren't all so well-rounded and vast, then all these other populations wouldn't be taken care of. They wouldn't have someone sure. to feel close to in the way that you said you wouldn't be able to direct a Muslim family, but you wouldn't want to either because you know it would make them uncomfortable. It wouldn't mm -hmm. be something that you would want to hurt them with. Right. Um, it, it is one of the things I look forward to and um, admire, especially about the younger generations. So it's just so accepting yeah. about so many things. It'll be so much easier for them, especially when they are in their 50s coming and having uh, 40s kind of now calm down i said that, 40. Not, you're not in your 50s you're a glowing beacon of youth thank you but no like my my first director he was in his 50s and he was a very he was an open guy that was he didn't never had anything wrong but every once in a while he'd come up with something and he'd be like okay grandpa we need to work on that <laughs> just a little bit but that's that's what I think will be great, especially about Gen Z and and the even gener younger generation underneath yeah. that. They will have experienced so many different types of peoples already. They'll already even have the lingo and how they want to say it. I look forward to it. Yeah, it'll be it, it'll be a different. I think funeral service will be a different thing even in ten years than what it is now. In in, in so many ways, that's a whole other thing. Um, but I do think a big part of that is the students and, you know, kind of back to how we were talking earlier about, you know, employment and this or that, I think that, um, I think it's going to be a really interesting time. I think I tell my students that you really are living in one of the most transformative times in death care ever since like the civil war, truly, you know, um, death care hasn't changed in any other generation the way it is in this one. It hasn't, not mine. And I think Dan and I, this is where I'm going to, I'm going to give our generation some props. You know, I think Dan and I's generation, was really the first generation to see that changes were needed but we weren't the generation that made them happen yet but we are now the we're in charge now so look out you know what i mean we're the ones maybe maybe we didn't change funeral service in our 20s and 30s but the way that we're going to do that is by opening the door for those that that are younger to make those changes is yeah because we're the bosses now so instead of the boss being somebody that's a, a baby boomer or this or that, you know, your bosses are millennials now. And while maybe we didn't knock all the doors down and kick them all, all in, we're not locking them either. So it's it's a cool place to be where we we know the the history of our industry and where it came from. And we're raised still in that more conservative traditional time in funeral service when when things were a certain way. So we've seen that. We've seen the good things from traditional old funeral service. And we've seen the things that needed to change a lot sooner than they have. And so now that we are the ones in charge, so to speak, of schools and in charge of we own funeral homes, we own, you know, we can be the ones now that let those things happen because even though we didn't didn't do them ourselves when we were young, that's okay. Um, so it's kind of cool. But the the students that are in school now that have recently graduated that are coming into mortuary school now, it's they're gonna have a different funeral home industry than Dan very much so.
Terracon 2024, uh, the first annual Terramation body, you know, for those that don't know, it's body composting. Uh, their conference is taking place in Washington State, but there are also some uh, virtual attendance options as well. Um, and I'll put the link for that on our mortuarymayhem.com website for those that, because it is an eventbrite.com. Um, thanks, so easier. I'll put a link there for those that want to click that. It's uh, Wednesday and Thursday, February 21st and February 22nd. So I'll put the link there for those that are interested in great. discussed during this episode, please visit the website at www.mortuarymayhem.com. Do you have questions, comments, suggestions for topics, or want to be a guest on the show? Email us at podcast at mortuarymayhem.com. We should do this again sometime.